This program is brought to you by RTS on iTunes U from the virtual campus of Reformed Theological Seminary. To listen to other courses or to access other materials from RTS, please visit us at itunes.rts.edu. In addition to the stance that we take with regard to abortion, is there a principled approach that is consistent with our approach to abortion that we can apply towards euthanasia and, let's say, war in Central America and the whole complex of issues in South Africa? And what was the other one? Capital punishment. Let me direct, yeah, that's a good question. Let me direct your attention to a very good article. In fact, it was a debate between Ron Sider and a professor at Spring Arbor College named Charles White. And this debate appeared in Christianity Today back in 1989 or 1990. It was either a debate in response to the, to the Just Life 88 magazine or the Just Life 90 magazine. Look this up if you're interested. Here was Charles White's position. He said, when it comes to the issue of abortion, there, is no, there can be no confusion about where Scripture stands on this issue, nor can there be any confusion about the right, uh, the right position on this issue. But, Charles White argued, and here euthanasia is, there, there's, there's no confusion there either, so let's accept that from this next statement. On these other issues, White argued, we have neither explicit we have neither an explicit biblical position, nor do we know the prudent thing to do always. In other words, there is no black or white stance with regard to these other issues. But there is a black or white stance vis-a-vis abortion and the rights of the unborn. Um, so, White said, don't mix, uh, don't mix fish and fowl. Don't mix apples and oranges. We know where the truth lies in this case of abortion. These other issues are far, far more complex, and Christians disagree furiously and ferociously as to where Scripture should, uh, should result in their coming down on these other issues. Hence, don't sacrifice the cause of the unborn, which is the one issue here where we know the difference between black and right. Don't sacrifice that cause for these other issues where the water is very muddy, where the issues are very complex and difficult. Now, I would add to that this additional point. What we need in all of these other matters 
is prudence. The ability to forecast long-range consequences that will follow from short-range decisions. What will be the long-range consequence, what would have been the long-range consequence had the United States not supported the fight against the communist guerrillas, the communist rebels in El Salvador? The answer is, the long-range consequence of that would have been another Nicaragua. It would have been the takeover of El Salvador by Marxist guerrillas exactly as happened in Nicaragua. Well, let's talk about infanticide and euthanasia. First of all, infanticide. Nobody in this room, nobody in this room supports the putting to death of a born, uh, of, a, of a human infant after birth. The evidence is, is provided in John Davis's book, however, of the, of the of the massive increase in infanticide that has accompanied uh, the growing disrespect for uh, unborn human life. We have case after case of doctors conspiring with nurses, conspiring with parents, of physically and mentally handicapped children that has resulted in these children being deprived of food, water, and uh, the, the, the other forms of aid that they need to survive. There are instances on record of doctors strangling, killing newborn, newborn babies. Now, we don't support that. That's not an issue. The more troubling cases, and these are the cases that will affect you in your ministry, or may, and I hope not, but may affect you in your own private family lives. What happens in the case of badly deformed or seriously handicapped children? who are born with life-threatening handicaps, uh, and to take a, a good example, the case of a child with Down syndrome who is born with an intestinal blockage who must have surgery if that child is to survive. A growing number of parents in the West have simply made the decision not to allow that surgery and that consigns that infant to death. What do we do as Christians when we, either in the position of, either in, the, in, the, in our position as spiritual counselors or in our position as <coughs> parents, friends, relatives, what do we do when a child is born with spinal bifida? What do we do in the case of uh, children born with Down syndrome. What, what does one do in the case of this child born in Florida with only a brain stem? 
Now let me offer some suggestions here. Suggestion number one, on those cases when a vexing medical case like this child in Florida comes to national attention, if, if you're a pastor, consider using that as an opportunity to draw your congregation's attention to some of the serious issues involved in bioethics. Consider using that tragic instance from real life as an opportunity to discuss the issues that are involved with your congregation. Now keep in mind what the family, what the parents wanted to do with that baby. Obviously the baby was going to die, no question about it. What the parents wanted to do was hasten the death of that child by um, turning that infant over to doctors who would then uh, take out its vital organs, who would then use those vital organs as a way of providing help to other infants in serious trouble. It looks the media can make that look like a very easy case. It is not an easy case. What we have, what we have to decide on that case is that no human being has the right to end, to terminate another human life. God will decide when that child dies. To use that dying infant as a source of organs for other human beings is to kill that child. It's to commit an act of murder. The attempt on the part of the family and the physicians to argue that that child was already brain dead, because of course the child had no brain other than the brain stem, was disingenuous. The principle that, that I think must be applied in that case is this. We as Christians cannot support any intentional action to terminate or shorten the natural life of a human being. To do what the doctors wanted to do in that case would be tantamount to an act of murder. At the beginning of this course, we talked about utilitarianism. And we noticed uh, the immoral consequences of utilitarian moral behavior. You, the end does not justify the means. The fact that good would come from the killing of that baby would not provide a moral justification for hastening the death of that child. As we look at this whole complex of issues as it also relates to euthanasia, a lot of people are drawing attention to the alleged uh, difference between the sanctity of life and the quality of life. Until recently, the medical profession and uh, the vast majority of people who were involved in making these decisions acted on the basis of the sanctity of human life. Human life is sacred. 
It is not to, human beings are not to be used as uh, a supply of, of organs. But now what we're hearing are people who are saying, but if the quality of life that is open to this individual doesn't meet certain standards, then we are not only justified in ignoring this child, let us say, by withholding food and nourishment and water from it, we are even justified in killing it. Davis gives you quotations from philosophers, and I'm embarrassed that these quotations come from people in my profession, who say, we'll give a newborn baby a certain amount of time, maybe one week, maybe two weeks, in order to provide certification that this baby will have a quality of life that we deem satisfactory. But if the prognosis is that that individual's quality of life will not be satisfactory as far as our standards go, we think within a week or two after birth it is perfectly permissible and it ought to be legal to terminate that life. In other words, to kill the kid. Now, various definitions of quality of life have been given. Some definitions identify various IQs. An IQ below 20, kill it. An IQ below 40, kill it. There's something very chilling about people who can talk this matter-of-factly about killing a human being. Now, Davis does a good job of pointing out how subjective these analyses of the quality of life turn out to be. Once we put, once we subject the survivability of a human being to a sliding scale of human worth based upon individual estimates of, an, of intelligence and mental function, we're in serious trouble. In the case of children born with Down syndrome, Dave, and, and frankly, I was surprised when Davis says there are only 5,000 Down's children born a year in the United States. I, I would have guessed the figure was much higher. But Davis says, now that we have been able to identify this problem before birth, once we recognize how valuable early treatment with Down's children can be, these children have much more of a future than was ever the case before. Uh, George Will, the nationally syndicated columnist, uh, has, a, has a child afflicted with Down syndrome. And he reports about the testings that came to his family as a result of this handicapped child, but also the joy that comes from having a child like this. Uh, Davis also reports about the remarkable advances in surgical techniques that can help kids born with spinal bifida. There are operations that are now available, uh, and remember, this does not affect the intelligence of these kids, 
These kids can be horribly crippled physically, and yet they can be bright. They can be happy children. They can have, they can have a quality of emotional, intellectual life that is, that is, the, uh, that is the equal of, of any non-handicapped child. Some of them may even have in their future the ability to walk with some assistance. So with all of these advances in medical technology, let's not rush to judgment. Under the pressure and the agony and the stress that parents face in the few hours and few days after the birth of a handicapped child, Davis, Davis counsels, don't make a snap judgment about the future of that child under that kind of pressure. Talk to, talk to other people. Talk to physicians. If the liberals get away with their quality of life argument vis-a-vis -vis infants, that is an argument that says society has a right to kill children whose forecasted quality of life falls below our standards, then the same argument puts at risk uh, any elderly person whose quality of life falls below their standards as well. What we face from these uh, people on the left is the possibility of a society that executes not only children but adults who fall below their expected standards. Now with with elderly people living longer than ever before and with advances in medical technology meaning making it possible to prolong the lives of elderly people inordinately anyone in the kind of counseling role that many of you will fill may face agonizing decisions as families come to you seeking counsel and advice about what to do about a father or a grandfather who is terminally ill, who may be on life support machines, uh, who may be sustainable, whose life may be sustainable through some heroic measure or other, and people are going to ask what, you sh what should be done. Uh, now, I'm going, to use, I'm going to use a risky phrase here, all right? Once again, every situation is different. It is impossible to lay out uh, more than one or two general principles that, it, it, that will apply in some cases. It's impossible to identify a principle that will help in every case. But one, th one thing you interject into this decision process is this. And please realize I'm using the phrase in a different sense. What are we talking about here? Are we talking about an elderly person who can have one or two months of additional life where they are conscious and capable of good experiences? Or are we talking about an artificial prolongation of life where they must be constantly sedated, they must be constantly kept 
uh, unconscious to spare them from the pain that they would have, that they would otherwise have. What quality of life are we, are we talking about consciousness versus unconsciousness? Are we talking about pain? Are we talking about happiness? Uh, if, if you're simply thinking about prolonging life, and there it seems to me the principle, uh, the principle that's operative is, is anti-biblical and anti-Christian. It's a principle that would appeal to people for whom there is no hope after life. There is no hope after death. I mean, once people realize that death for this individual, assuming this person is a Christian, means entrance into the presence of the Lord, uh, artificially prolonging life through some heroic measure or, or something that has no positive benefit just doesn't make sense. Once again, the uselessness versus the usefulness of the treatment must be considered. Once again, the distinction between commission and omission. Do we undertake a positive action that shortens life? That is evil. Do we undertake a positive action that will uselessly prolong life? That doesn't make sense. So, uh, what, what we seek here is a trade-off uh, and you may not be comfortable with what I'm going to say next, but what we seek here is a trade-off between consequences and obligation. What are our obligations to this human being? And what are the consequences that will flow from this, from whatever decision we make? Again, I would suggest it wouldn't hurt for you to put yourself, in other words, uh, act like this. Say, if I were your grandfather, or if I were your father, I wouldn't want you to do that. But you must realize where I'm coming from. Uh, my relationship to the Lord may be different than your father's relationship. Certainly, if there is an opportunity for additional moments of consciousness and reflection where there is an opportunity to present the claims of the gospel to this person, then that is certainly a consideration that ought to, ought to tilt the scale towards whatever these measures are. But if it's just a matter of prolonging the inevitable for a person who is either in a coma or must be constantly sedated to keep them from, uh, from the pain. Uh, let's not do that. So we should be enemies of euthanasia. We should be enemies of this, um, this, this mad rush towards killing uh, the dying before their time has come but we should not be advocates of useless heroic measures. The preceding program has been brought to you by RTS on iTunes U from the virtual campus of Reformed Theological Seminary.
and may not be reproduced or disseminated in part or in whole for sale or for profit without expressed written consent. To listen to other courses or to access other materials from RTS, please visit us at itunes.rts.edu.